Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornshai. This is my first podcast as the official co-host along with Nathaniel. Yeah, it's really good to have you. Um, I'm, I'm excited, Eki. You certainly bring uh, a, a lot of wisdom to the podcast. And so, and I think we really get on very well in our discussions back and forth. So uh, this should make the podcast even better. Looking forward to it. And I agree. We, we get along very well. We share a lot of um, similarities. I haven't seen any differences in our theology. And uh, we play off each other really well in terms of how we analyze events around us and, and uh, the biblical view from it. So. Yeah, I'm, you know, we probably have some petty things, but I'm sure they're just that yeah. on the, the, the tertiary type uh, level of doctrines. I'll but never it, grow a beard. I, you know, that's yeah. part of the Asian shortage. I, you know, I just, people talk about uh, how theological someone is by the length of their beard. And I call that racist because I'll never be able to grow one. <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, I, I didn't grow it out. I'm growing it out more now, actually. It, it's intentional uh, because the larger beard you have, the more you can breathe with the stupid mask on your face uh, oh. when, when you're made to wear them uh, because it, the, the hair just holds it off of your nose. But anyway, oh, that's, that's interesting. And living in Alaska, being an Alaskan pastor, I felt like it was the the thing to do to fit yeah, in. Yeah, you know? right, right. Um, so I can go spear hunting for bear after we, uh, as a a guy outing, and we all grow beards. But anyway, um, well, you you're one up on me actually, Eki, because you have hair on the top of your head, and uh, I don't. So I've just That's got, <laughs> I've just I've just got to grow it wherever I can, brother. Um, I hear that. Well, let's jump in here to our topic. So, uh, yeah, persecution, James Coates, um, everyone's kind of talking about it. We're a little behind the eight ball, so to speak. Um, we're, I guess, a little over a week since he's yeah. been put in jail and a lot of a lot to talk about here. Um, and, and I guess the the big thing is the debate over what persecution is or is not. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of people that are saying this is not persecution, and it starts with whether you think it was right for the government to shut down the church or not, because there's a lot of people that, in the spirit of love thy neighbor, they shouldn't mm -hmm. be meeting because they're a danger to everyone else. Well, we know from the scriptures that uh, the scriptures don't mention any, um, any kind of exceptions to the importance of gathering together. You know, I point this out often, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and the word ekklesia, prior to Jesus Christ using it to apply to his disciples, it literally meant congregation or gathering of people. So when he said, I will build my church, he's saying that I will build my gathering of people. So yeah. we are called the church, we are the body of Christ, we're baptized into the church, and the whole idea why it's called a church is because we are expected to gather together, and certainly I think the, a lot of this debate uh, revolves around how much uh, of a threat uh, COVID is or isn't, and there's a lot of information and misinformation out there. Um, but also a lot of this is just um, an unwillingness, I think, of people to just be able to stand on what the Bible says, that we are not to forsake the gathering, and there's no biblical precedence mm -hmm. to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I, you made a good point. Um, I often hear 
things like, well, the church isn't a building. Um, and we, you know, I've got a podcast that I, I did on that issue, what the Bible says church is. And, you know, scripture uses, it, it's almost kind of a silly argument because scripture um, uses church to refer to the synagogue uh, as in where people meet, as well as church, mm -hmm. as the gathered believers, which is primarily what we mean when we say the church. So, you know, if you say we're we're having church this Sunday morning, you understand it's the gathering. If you say I'll meet you at the church, we understand. It, you know, you're you're going to the building that we gather in. It's a pretty simple thing, and and yet people kind of throw that up as a gotcha argument, um, but. You're right. Uh, the church is the gathering of the saints. And so you can't be the church in your home alone watching uh, a sermon on on TV. You just can't right. do it. That's not the church. Yeah. And, and um, when people point out that the church, you know, that, hey, you're emphasizing a building. Well, the importance of the building, it's not there's nothing mystical about the building itself. You know, it's there, there's nothing that makes it the house of God on its own. What makes it the house of God is that the people of God gather together. So when we think about the importance of gathering together, well, we need a place to gather, and that place is the church. And some people are arguing back that, well, you guys can meet in your homes and this and that and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, there may be a time in the future where we're going to be forced to do that. Um, but as of right now, most churches are not equipped to be able to just split off to a bunch of house churches. Because first of all, even if you go to a house church, you're still in the same problem with the government that doesn't want you to gather together. It's just that you're in a yeah. place where it's going to be harder for them to, to find you. So, I mean, if you're, you're, if you're talking about obeying the government, going to house churches doesn't get around that, that need to, quote unquote, obey the government, which I would disagree with anyway. And then not only that, but if you're taking a church, and in this case of James Coates, I think his church size, I think I heard the number 350. Um, 350 people that are there you, you're going to split them up, up into how many churches? I, are you going to say 10 people um, per building? So if it's 10, you're going to have 30 different churches. Well, do you have 30 different elders and pastors um, who are yeah. ready to go and preach to them? So I think one of the issues today is that we're woefully under-equipped in terms of men in the church being able to do something like that. So I think we do want to get to um, being prepared for that time sometime in the future. But even when I've been in foreign countries and where they had to meet underground because they were not allowed to meet in public, um, we did have about 70 to 100 people that would gather together in one of these uh, larger homes. But it takes time to be able to prepare that and figure out what the meeting place is and, and how you're going to kind of keep this under wraps from the government and all that. So yeah. um, a lot of the counter suggestions that I've heard coming up are just they're, they're not practical or they don't get around the issue. And it's still, at the end of the day, we are called together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I find a lot of guys who bring up the, well, you could just do church in your home, have a very poor ecclesiology to begin with. And so what they're thinking is, you know, you just get a few of your buddies from the church, you gather in your home, and I'm not sure what they think you do. Maybe you just, you do a few songs and you discuss like a Bible study, but that's not what we're supposed to do as the gathered right. church. There needs to be an elder qualified person. Um, right. People need to be sitting under the teaching and preaching of the word. There are things that need to happen. Like we, 
you know, we do baptisms, we take communion, we sit yeah. under a qualified elder. And, and a lot of guys who say, well, just do church in your home. I, I think if they thought through what scripture requires in the gathering, they wouldn't have that in mind. And so that's another issue. Um, and so can you do church in a home? Absolutely. But if it's not that way, then it's not biblical either. You know, right. you're just doing a Bible study maybe, or, you know, fellowshipping as it were. Um, and, and so that, that's a thing that it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I, I hear that. Uh, and then I think, well, okay. So like you mentioned, if James Coates church were to break up into 30 groups, well, do they have 30 qualified elders? Probably not, No, I you know, in, I in a not. church side. And so actually they could not do that um the way scripture mandates and and do it rightly even if they wanted to yeah. unless they had that sorted out so but you know let's let's talk about persecution um i i you've traveled around i've lived in other countries we we both experienced and seen and talked to brethren who have experienced uh yeah. very extreme persecution right Right. And in America, we tend to think that is the definition of persecution. If people aren't getting beheaded, if they aren't getting, um, you know, beaten in prison or mutilated, then you're not being persecuted. But scripture doesn't narrow the definition of persecution uh, in that way. So I, I, I pulled up Webster, uh, Webster Dictionary's definition, and it's interesting. It just very simply says this, the act or practice of persecution especially those who differ in origin, religion, or social outlook, the condition of being persecuted, harassed, or annoyed. Nothing about having to yep. be mutilated, put right. in prison. Um, and yet with James Coates, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, well, this isn't persecution. Um, right. Thoughts on that? Yeah, and, and um, you raise a good point. I mean, just if you look at that um, Webster definition, um, it's very general. And I think we make the mistake of making persecution almost like a binary thing. Mm. Either you're being persecuted or you're not. And if you're being persecuted, this is what it must look like. Well, persecution is not simply uh, this or that, but it's a, it's a scale. And even someone who is being mocked for their faith, it is a form of persecution. And Absolutely. the Bible even talks about how you are going to be slandered for things that, uh, that, that you do, right? And that's not even talking about the types of physical punishment uh, that that people are referring to. So persecution can happen at multiple levels. Now we recognize that what we have here in America, I do believe we have some persecution here. Do I think it's anything like what we have seen in past in the history or other parts of the world? No, absolutely not. It's nowhere close to what people face in like China or the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and I, when I look at James Coates' situation, I think his situation is more extreme than what we have faced so far. You know, and, and the fact that he is imprisoned and he's not even being allowed to see his wife or his children. And the condition of his release is that he not even step foot into the church. So yeah. we'll release you before your trial date, um, but you're not even allowed to step into your church. You can't teach or preach. Well, you know, that's telling us to go against our calling from God. And so he has rightly in my mind um, turned that down and said, um, you know, those conditions are, are not acceptable. Uh, but someone pointed that out or said to me in a, Twitter comment that this is not persecution and made that same kind of comparison. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so if someone is imprisoned and not even able to see their wife and children, at what point do you call it persecution? 
And his response back is it's not persecution because the government is doing what's good for the people. And so then that's how they start to justify, okay, so it's, it's okay to mistreat the people of God as long as you think um, there's a good reason to keep the church closed, which you can't even back that up biblically anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of the thinking of our age. But most definitely what, what he's experiencing is persecution. And then the good news, and I know you saw this too, is that the next Sunday after he was arrested, there was another man, a TMS graduate, who stepped into the pulpit. Yeah. He preached and praise God, there were actually more people in the church. Um, now, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think he's been arrested um, as well. Um, they're trying to make an example out of uh, James Coates, but no doubt he was putting himself in a position to be willing to be persecuted. And that's exactly what's happening to James Coates. That's exactly what we've been seeing, for instance, in the state of California, when churches were being singled out to not be able to meet, but everyone else, you know, these restaurants and liquor stores and all these other kinds of establishments were able to meet. And people would look at that and say, well, you're just being limited from meeting indoors. You guys can meet outdoors. Well, I mean, if you live where I live, I live in Brawley. And in the summer, the heat out here gets gets up to 115 to 120 mm. degrees. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't, you know, at nighttime, it goes down to maybe 90s. All right. But by the time that we do our service, it's going to be at least 110 degrees wow. out in, outside. So that's not even practical. And at the time of Grace Community Church, I remember, and this is frequent, there's a number of fires that are breaking out everywhere. So you've got fires that are affecting the air quality. So yeah. no, that's not practical. You're out in very warm heat and also you're being subjected to having to breathe in, um, you know, these fumes that are not healthy. And yeah. you're saying that's better than being inside because of what the government thinks are unhealthy risks to COVID? I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm pretty sure that the Roman Empire uh, justified, in fact, I know they did, um, putting Christians in Colosseums and murdering them because they were a threat to the Roman Empire. So, you know, we should learn that just because the government says something is a threat doesn't mean it genuinely is a threat. Um, and, and the governments have always done this to the church, right? So are we going to just stop, uh, being obedient and faithful to scripture every time the government says, well, this is for somebody's safety, right? Right. Uh, I, I, I took a screenshot of, I think it's Canadian police and, and this is just, you know, going to continue on with a LGBTQ, a plus plus, whatever it is now these days, um, banner, right. And, and the, uh, the rainbow flag basically saying that we're no, we're not going to tolerate, um, intolerance. Right. Uh, and we are siding with the LGBTQ community and you know, what they're saying is that, okay, anyone opposing this now, you're also a threat. So, now, for those people who are saying, well, COVID's a threat, we should obey the government. Now that the government's saying um, it's a threat to speak against homosexuality, are, are we also supposed to not do that? You know, right. Where do you draw the line? Um, and, and I think for those who are in the scriptures, who are taking a step back and looking, the line is not as difficult as some are making it to seem now in current situations. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're we're kind of mudding it. Uh, we're the ones that are mudding it. It's not it's not a difficult line to see on its own. You know, the other aspect to this um, is the value of gathering together. Um, we get we we gain a great deal of spiritual encouragement and, and just being with the corporate body to be able to worship um, the, the God uh, for who He is. 
there is no substitute for that doing that over the internet. So whenever I see people say, well, you can just do that over the internet, those are people, clearly people who don't understand the value of the church. Yeah. Um, there is no such thing as an internet church. And we think about how this started. It started, and we see this tweeted often. It initially started as 15 days to slow to spread, right? Right. And, and people are like, oh, this is not going to be an entire year. We just need to kind of huddle together. Well, California has been probably the most locked down state in the nation, at least probably top two or three at, at the very least, been one of the most locked down states in the nation. And yet we've had the biggest problem with the spread. So the lockdowns are clearly not working. And when you look, when you listen to even the World Health um, Organization and the CDC, they even recommend not to, do, not to resort to long-term lockdowns. So we're not even in this day where they keep saying, follow the science, we're not even quote unquote, following the science that they actually lay out for us. And then we, for us, we've got a governor in Gavin Newsom who doesn't even follow his own restrictions, right? So, I mean, he shut down all the schools, but his children attend private schools. Um, he told people that they can't go out to eat at restaurants, but he went out to eat at a restaurant and had a very nice, fancy meal. And what does this tell you? And he's not the only one. There are other politicians around the nation that were violating their own restrictions. What does that tell you? They don't even believe their own restrictions. Yeah. You know, so we see a lot of inconsistency with how this is being applied. We see a lot of problems um, with the data that they're using to justify this. And all the while, 15 days has now, at this point, we're about a few weeks away from a full year. Yeah. In a few weeks, it'll be a full year since the COVID shutdown um, started. And so how long do you go before you say this is not okay? And in the meantime, even from a secular perspective, we've seen um, depression is up, suicides are up. I talked to someone in the police department and they're telling me that domestic violence is up. They're getting a lot more calls uh, of arguments and things like that inside the household. That's just from a secular standpoint. When you yeah. think from a spiritual standpoint, um, people are being robbed of the spiritual blessing that comes from being with the body of Christ. We are to come together because that's how we are strengthened. That's how we worship our Lord. And by worshiping our Lord, we are moved by the spirit to continue that uh, throughout the rest of the week. It's, yeah. it's spiritual refreshment for us. And it can't be replaced simply by just going to the internet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, the gathering is one of the means by which God uses to sanctify us. We sit under the teaching of the word. We fellowship with one another uh, under that word. We sing songs of praise and, uh, you know, and, and we take communion together. If you eliminate those things, inevitably, you will start seeing a suffering in the faith because that's what God ordained for us, uh, just, just part of our spiritual growth and our health and our life. Uh, you remove that, and you've removed biblical Christianity, right? It, that's not all that Christianity is, but it's never less than that. Um, right. And yeah, and, and I'll, I also wonder, you know, I, I find it very ironic that the same guys who use the argument, well, we're not really being persecuted um, we should do this safely. It's not like the Chinese church or, you know, the Middle Eastern or the African church. I find it ironic that those guys reach to those extremes, but yet they fail. They fail to realize that even with the threat of death, those folks still meet because yes. it's that important. Exactly. So exactly. why? So if you want to use the persecuted church as an example, then why aren't we using them as an example to say, you know what, even though 
there may be a virus. This is what's more important because I can speak for a lot of the church in Africa. They go to church with the very real threat of someone pulling the pen out of a grenade and rolling it down the pews um, and, and them never wow. making it home in, in places. And yet they will still walk for five, six miles to gather in a place where they know their enemies know they meet yeah. and it's worth it's worth their life to them. And here we are, right, a, a year into a virus that has a 99% survival rate, and we're scared to gather because it's not important to us. Right, that's, right. that's just the reality. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, and this, is, this is not to say that we um, want people who are like, um, you know, immune compromised or health compromised yeah. or people who are elderly. This is not to say that they need to be forced in, into a church setting either. Um, we, we need to make some common sense decisions here. But to your point, the vast majority of us were looking at a greater than 99% chance of survival. And that's even without having exposure to the right kinds of treatments. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate to live in Brawley where there's a couple of local doctors who for the entire year since the COVID shutdown started, they had been um, administering patients with the hydroxychloroquine, which has been extremely effective when caught at an early stage. Now, they're one of the few people um, around the nation that are willing to do that, and they get shut down by the media whenever they try to share share their their findings um, with everyone else. Um, but that's uh, th that's that's the reality, and I think for most of us, even with a greater than ninety nine percent chance, that chance is even higher with the right kinds of treatments that we've been robbed of from the government. But uh, another comparison just came to mind. You talk to kids and and teachers um, who are going through this shutdown right now and what it's like trying to teach a class over Zoom. And Zoom is a wonderful tool. It allows us to connect in ways that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. But every single teacher I've talked to who have tried to teach students over Zoom will tell you that it is not the same quality of experience. And I know that in the state of California, I think I had heard that there are many more children who are um, failing um, their, their classes or they're just being automatically passed without any any real testing going on. Yeah. So the, the quality goes down just within a classroom setting, but within a spiritual setting. And, and for us as believers, there is nothing more important in terms of our earthly activities than to gather together with the body of Christ to worship. You know, how much more is that affected just trying to do that, you know, over, yeah. over internet? You know, of course you can hear a message and, and you can sing, but there, there's nothing, there's nothing like feeling the, the, the spirit working within us in, the, in that mm -hmm. body of Christ, that corporate gathering, when we're all singing together, when we're all hearing the message together, when we're exhorting each other, when we're fellowshipping, when we're embracing each other, um, all those things uh, put together, um, there, there's just nothing that replaces face-to-face -face interaction. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and just to reiterate, you know, we're not telling people, as you said, you know, who are immune compromised or genuinely, you know, if you look at the yeah. circumstance, you're like, okay, it, it's not out of fear. It's, it's just not out of wisdom for me to do this right now. Um, you know, there are circumstances, but the majority of folks do not fit in that category. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think, I hope that what comes out of this is a lot of pastors, um, it, my, and, and I've been thinking of this myself, really making sure that we're doing additional teachings on the purpose and function of the church, um, why we do what we do, not just 
doing it, right? So that people understand and see the value from a biblical perspective. Um, and, and we've got to get there. And at this stage, you know, and, and it's been brought up, you can go to Walmart. And in fact, I lived in North Carolina when this started. Um, and from the very first day, wise or not, I decided I wanted to go to the major store because they didn't have the restrictions everyone else had. And I thought, well, that's very strange. If it were as bad, that wouldn't be happening either. So every day for the first like two weeks, for sure, without missing a day, I went to our local Walmart. Um, and let me tell you, I was exposed to far more people during those two weeks going to the Walmart than I was anywhere else. Um, yeah. That, and, that's and, to, a... <clears throat> and today it's the same. Go ahead, brother. No, I, I, local grocery stores um, have, have been open and they should be open. That's, that's I'm not trying to argue that. But um, many of the workers there have to report and, and work there. And yet we've got teachers that don't want to show up for school or people that don't want to go to church. And we've got liquor stores that have been open, casinos that have been open, strip clubs have been open, right? And, and so, yep. you know, and for us as, as a church, we, we did um, close our doors for the first two months um, sure. and we reopened in the middle of May. And at the time that we reopened, it was because we looked around and we saw that there was a plan in place to start reopening businesses at that time. So businesses, restaurants were starting to reopen and they had this stage, these four stages. And, and I think this is just California, but they had these four stages. And in the very last stage were churches. So even before churches, shopping malls would be allowed to be open. But when I looked at this, I, I looked at this plan, I thought to myself, you know what, if things are improving to the point that any other business is allowed to open, then churches should open. That it's pure. It, and, and to me, that was, that was a no brainer. In fact, you can even make an argument for the church never being closed in the first place. But at that time, we didn't know what we were dealing with. We right. didn't know how contagious this was, but by that two month mark, we, we could see this is not what it's been presented to be. And if we're at a stage where there are other stores that can open, then there's no question that the church should be open because yeah. for believers, there is no service more essential than to come together as the body of Christ. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. And so I wouldn't put any undue pressure on anyone who closed their church in those first couple months because, I mean, there was just a lot of genuine unknowns. And so we're not really dealing with that. Although if we look back now, right, and, and let's just say that it was super bad and the church, what the church couldn't do is eventually we'd still have to figure out a, a way to gather because you can't go two, right. three years without gathering right. just because the exactly. risk of death. Um, I, I mean, I think of Martin Luther and that amazing hymn, Almighty Fortress. Um, it, it was written in the middle of a plague, right? And he stayed mm -hmm. behind um, because, and I can't remember exactly what he said now, but effectively he stayed behind because the people needed a pastor. They needed the word of God. Um, and while all the, you know, lots of the other clergy were fleeing the city, uh, right or wrong, I think he had the better heart. Right. Um, and and we would have had to do that, too. And so lest someone be thinking out there, well, if, if it really were bad, we'd be justified in closing. No, the church, there's never going to be a time, I think, where the church can be closed for years and years on end just yeah. because of threat of life and limb. And, and we you, you know, we understand using wisdom in those things. Um, but the value of our community, our communion uh, being 
obedient to scripture has to be greater than the value for our life. And we see this all throughout scripture, but I think we've never been confronted with that here in America, at least not in our generation, like we are now, where people professing Christians have not been to church for a year because they are afraid of getting a virus, Uh, a virus that now at this stage has proven to be less than deadly for the great majority of people. Yeah, and we've, we have reached that point of indefiniteness, you know, not indefinite, meaning it'll never end, but indefinite in terms of we don't see where the end is. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because when these shutdowns first happened, I think everyone was universally agreed upon this fact that, okay, we can shut down now, but this can't be indefinite. Yeah. Okay, we can shut down for a little bit, but we, we, we can't just keep on going like this, even if this um, continues. And even if another strain shows up and you know, introduces the same kind of problems, we, we can't say that the solution is not to meet. Well, I mean, when we think about God, he is, first of all, he is sovereign over all of this. Yeah. He has given us his word. He is all wise. He, and we know his, his word stands forever. And the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the bride of Christ. And the bride is meant to, to be together and, and to benefit in this way. But when we think about in the beginning, how everyone was pretty much agreed this not to be indefinite. What we have, just as to your point, we're approaching one year. This is, has reached indefinite status, Mm. and yet people are still making excuses for it or justifying it. So this is one of those examples where we think that we're only saying, oh, well, we're just making a little bit of compromise. But what we're seeing over the past year is that people continue to push that, you know, to to push that standard further and further and further over to the point where now, you know what, church is really not all that important. And and here's one other thought that just came to mind. For parents out there, Think about the message you're sending to your children mm. uh, by treating church as secondary, yeah. that we can go to the grocery store, we can go to even liquor stores, we can do this, we can do that, but we can't meet for church. You know, when you're okay with that kind of government plan, you are sending a message also to your children that, you know what, church to us is really not all that important. And one of the great errors of the evangelical movement has been overemphasizing the personal aspect of church that, you know, you can have this personal relationship with Christ, which is true. We do have a personal relationship Mm -hmm. with Christ, but it's not just a personal relationship with Christ on our own. It's a relationship with Christ through the body of Christ. You you don't have a relationship with Christ outside of his body by rejecting his body. That's not the, the, the plan of Christ. That's the whole point of, you know, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that Christ gave to the church, prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, so that they would equip the saints for the work of service to, to the building up of the body of Christ. So we, we have a calling here yeah. for the body of Christ that cannot be achieved by treating it as secondary. Yeah, there, there is nothing about the Christian life that you can do in isolation, um, I mean, at, at functioning in, in wholeness, um, you, you know, maybe for a time period. But, yeah, you can't serve the body. You can't proclaim the gospel. You can't serve, you know, your, you can't love your neighbors. I mean, you just can't do the Christian life, as it were, uh, in isolation, like we've created the idea that it's necessary in, in the U.S. And, you know, and so I think bringing this back to James Coates, he did exactly what a faithful Bible preaching believer should do. Um, he did exactly what a pastor should do, and that was shepherd his sheep. 
he understood, uh, at least in, through his actions. And I've, I've heard one sermon that he preached just before he got arrested. I mean, it's clear that he understood, one, um, the, the government's role and when they overstep, because, uh, you know, God defines the government's role. Rather, God has defined the government's role. Um, and when they cross that, it, it's yeah. actually our duty to say, no, y- you are uh, a governing agent under God's sovereignty and you've crossed the line. Um, and he understood that. And, and he understood the value of the gathering and the preached word and, and those things um, in the church. And so he absolutely was persecuted. We can't limit the understanding of persecution to extreme situations, right? Um, you can still go get abortions. Well, I guarantee you, everyone in that room is closer than six feet apart, um, and it's an intense situation. Uh, it, it's uh, so you can gather. The government says it's okay to gather to murder an innocent life, but you can't gather for the sake of healthy life. Um, right. it, you know, I don't. I just don't know how any thinking person. Um, can look at that scenario and say, no, uh, you know, Romans 13, we, we need to obey the government. Which brings me to an interesting um, quote uh, or conversation on Twitter. One pastor commenting on, on, a, on a tweet that I put out said, said this, I quote, I am a professing Christi- Christian and minister, and I'm not being apathetic or hostile when I point out that this is rebellion and not bravery. Romans 13, one through five is my proof. And so not only is his position that we shouldn't be meeting, but it's that James Coates was, Coates was in rebellion and basically he got what he deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interacted with this individual a little bit and come to find out um, his, the folks that he shepherd have not met for a year now, a year without any teaching, without preaching, without uh, uh, as a fellowship. Um, and I, you know, I just don't mind saying that if it's a year now, and if that's still your view, then get out of the pulpit. You shouldn't be there. Repent, repent. Cause there's place for that. Recognize that you were wrong. Um, if you're not willing to do that, get out of the pulpit. If you're in a church that is still closed, I, I sincerely mean with all my heart, go find an open church because yeah. if you don't meet, you will die. Spiritually, you know, you need what God commands us to do. And just the very simple fact that often gets overlooked, we we could set all of these things aside and just go to the fact that gathering is a command. It's a command not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. It's really easy. Yeah, and it's, um, as as I said, it's, it's implied throughout all the scriptures. I mean, if you think about if you are a part of the New Testament church um, back during the apostolic age, how is it that you get to, that you would ever get to hear the letters written by the apostles? You're not going to get a copy sent to your home. You hear it by actually being in the church and having read to the church. These letters, a lot of Paul's writings were written to churches. A lot of the writings that we have in the New Testament written to churches. They were sent to churches and distributed amongst churches. They would circulate around. But the assumption behind that is that there was a gathering for it to be read. And so it's implied, it's implied in the meaning of the word ecclesia. And even you had brought up synagogue. Well, synagogue comes from the word synagogue, 
soon agoge, soon agoga means to come together. Agoge means to go and, and, and to go out and soon means together. So it's to go out and, and meet together. So even the word synagogue has the built-in idea of gathering together. And we look at even the Old Testament, what did the family of God do? They, they gathered together in the temple. They gathered together in those synagogues. That yeah. was a regular thing for them. That didn't go away with Jesus Christ's death on the cross. We still, the, the people of God still gather together exactly for those reasons. And I think, unfortunately, we're seeing, and, and this is a reality, there's, we understand that being a pastor is a call. It's a calling. It's a calling that we take very seriously. A lot of people, unfortunately, are in the pulpit for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, they may think they're being called, but maybe they're just looking for another way to make money. They thought it was a good idea. They wanted to feel spiritual, whatever it may be. There may be a litany of reasons aside from being called. And to me, if you are shutting down the church and you're okay with it being shut down, even a year um, from the time that it was shut down and thinking that this is okay, I got to seriously question whether you were really called to that position. Um, because to, to your point, I, <clears throat> this is my attitude. Look, if I'm going to die, I want to die knowing that my last days were with the saints. Yeah. You know, not that um, I was dying in isolation away from the saints. Yeah. You know, so it's not only just a commandment out of Hebrews, I think Hebrews 10.25, what you were quoting, but it's really just implied and expected. Um, yeah. there, there is no concept of, of a lone wolf Christian. Everyone is assumed to be together. Yeah. All the commands of the one and others assume that you are in contact with each other. Now, someone might argue, you, you make, made the point that we can't even properly love our neighbor Someone might argue, well, yeah, of course you can love your neighbor. And yeah, there are things that you can do for your neighbor. But even if you were to evangelize your neighbor, where are you going to tell them to go? What? Okay, from now on, just go ahead and get on the internet on Sundays and listen to this message. What's the, yeah, you know, that, that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't convey the seriousness of what it means to gather together. So part of, you know, even testifying and witnessing to our neighbors and sharing the gospel with them is that, hey, come join us at church and be able to see for yourself. But when we meet online, we're no like the rest of the world that thinks that everything should be virtual because we're living in fear of COVID. Yeah. I mean, you certainly can't serve your neighbor without having contact with them, right? Um, if, if you're bringing them food, you got to have contact. It, it's interesting. We, it, you know, where I live, there are s some super liberal, quote unquote, churches in the area, and they're totally shut down, uh, but they have this feeding ministry thing going on. Right. Where lots of people go to get food. They're close to each other. Um, and, and it's great that they're giving food to folks who need it in the community. No problem with that. But you can do that, but you can't open. Right. Right. OK. Now, these churches, you know, I, I, I sincerely I hope they close forever um, because they're not real churches. They don't preach the gospel. But yeah. but my point is it, it, we, we tend to we see a lot of. Um, excuses for what people want to do um, and excuses for why they don't want to go to church. So uh, people will go to the Super Bowl who won't go to church. Uh, people will go to sports games who won't go to church. They'll walk around Walmart with 150 people, but they won't go to their church who has 35 uh, right. on, on Sunday. And and it's almost as if, as if we, um, it's not like in the early church, there were no diseases or sicknesses that could be um, spread when they gathered together, right? right. Um, it, it's not like there wasn't a very real and present danger when they gathered together. In fact, in much of the early church in the first century, the apostolic age, 
if you got caught gathering together by the right person, you were going to be in a coliseum soon thereafter as entertainment fighting for your life, um, you know, against all kind of wild beasts. And yet it was important enough that they gather. I, I think of Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing this in prison, right? He's, he, he has come to the end of his life. Um, he knows it. And he's instructing Timothy to continue, right? So Paul is in prison about to be executed for doing the very thing the government doesn't want them to do. And he's saying, Timothy, continue on. Uh, I get, uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, just to read the first part here, and I think we're seeing a lot of this playing out. Um, it says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. And there's this whole list, a litany of things that he lists there. And, and I think what we see right now with this virus is how much we love ourself, our self-preservation yeah. at the expense um, of loving the body. Because loving the body looks like gathering together. At least that's part of it. Um, we're robbing each other of the gifts that we have. Uh, the gifts aren't for ourselves that we have. Uh, they're for for the body, right? Just like you said earlier, the I mean, we kind of think just being able to interact personally, the hugs, the handshakes, the things like that. Um, but we have even the world telling us that suicide rates uh, and depression is skyrocketing because people are isolated. Japan, I read just this morning, Japan has a new minister of, uh, I can't remember what it's called, um, but, but it's, 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 um, it's an official position just to deal with Japan's increased suicide rate wow. that they've just instilled. I mean, that's how much even the godless world around us recognizes that being alone uh, and isolated has serious consequences. And yet God in his wisdom right? Says you're the church. You're supposed to be together. He understands because he made us. He didn't make us. He didn't, he didn't make us to be isolated. Um, and, and yet this is where we find our brother James right now, isolated. Uh, as far as I know, he's still in jail uh, with no end in sight at this moment. Uh, and he's most certainly being persecuted, right? Yeah. Persecution isn't just physical violent acts. Um, and, and we argue that point, just think of the Jews, were they not persecuted long before they were being murdered? Absolutely. Um, if you don't think that the, the Germans making the Jews sew the star on their clothing and being publicly shunned wasn't persecution, then something is wrong with you. Um, and, and that's exactly what we're seeing today. Uh, we're seeing a shunning of the Christian faith and practice in our country more than anything else. But now we have a neighboring country on the same continent, uh, Canada, who has a Christian pastor in prison because he refused to stop shepherding his flock. That is a big deal, and it should raise very big red flags for us here in the States, I think. Absolutely, and it is coming. And there, were, there have been some people that responded back to me saying, well, shouldn't you be rejoicing because it's persecution? The Bible says that you know, it's, um, it's by the grace of God that we are persecuted for the sake of Christ. And that is true, um, but it is still persecution. It is still suffering. 
and we still, uh, you know, we, we still have compassion for the wife who is um, heartbroken that she can't even see her own husband and the kids that can't see their, their own father. And it's not that they question his decision. They are fully behind him. They understand why he had to do it. But it is still a very hard situation. It's still one that we should be praying for one another. Um, we certainly desire that he not be persecuted in this way. Um, Paul wrote that, uh, make it your goal to live a peaceful life, right? And so that's what we want to do. We want to be able to proclaim the truth of, of the word uh, without such persecution, if possible. But if the persecution is there, we are, we are willing to take on the persecution just to be able to do the will of God. And it's it's shameful to me, as you were mentioning, how some people are saying that this is not persecution. He had what what is coming to him. And, and they're saying this, saying, and they're basically saying that he was rightly persecuted for standing on the word of God. And that to them, common sense should have overtaken him to saying that, you know what, this is a situation where I shouldn't be obeying God. Well, yeah. that, that's, that, that's not how we operate. That's not how we think. And, and we as people, we are created to be social beings. And this is something that we tend to forget, especially in our society today, and especially here in America, where people are taught to be independent and not to depend upon anyone. Well, that kind of idea runs in the face of the church in which is the, the church is supposed to rely on each other. Yeah. We're, we're there providing functions that other people cannot provide. So we're supposed to be a community of people and we're meant to be social. And even when I think about uh, prisons, what is the worst thing that you can do to a prisoner in prison? Put him in solitude. Yep. You know, that, that is the worst, the most torturous treatment you can do to an individual. Why? Because we as human beings creating the image of God, we're not meant to be so antisocial. So that's most definitely persecution. There, there's no question about it. And while I'm, I'm certain that James Coates in his prayers also realizes that this is for the glory of God and that there's a part of him that I'm, I'm certain rejoices at the opportunity to be able to suffer for the sake of Christ. We also recognize that there is sorrow and grief here because he's not able to see those who are closest to him yeah. and including his own church. And that's not even discounting the, the church's grief over not being able to see their own pastor. But yet they are emboldened. The fact that he was willing to do that reflected in the fact that they were willing to come back to church. And even more people were able to co- were willing to come back to come to church that uh, that following Sunday and having that other person on staff to be able to step into the pulpit and, yeah. and preach. Um, th- this is not about idolizing the pulpit. This is not about making a name for ourselves. This is about standing firm upon what we believe the Word of God is telling us to do. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. Persecution is not when someone is just belligerent um, and and does something wrong that the government punishes, right? That's not persecution. That's stupidity. Um, you know, persecution is when we're obeying the Word of God and the government penalizes us for that, which which I believe is James Coates' situation, right? Um, and and a lot of this argument again and again, we just will come back to what Scripture says is our responsibility. Um, at you know the brass tacks of it is we are called to gather, we are called to take communion together, we are called to fellowship together, we're called to sit under the preaching and teaching of elder. Uh, of elders who are qualified, you know, by scripture, we are commanded to do those things. And so the question ultimately is not, is the government right or wrong? Uh, Is this safe or not? The question ultimately is, do I love God 
in such a way that I'm compelled to be obedient to the word that I know. Um, and we might have hurdles to get there. Um, but, but ultimately that's got to be where we are is what does the word say? And are we willing to be obedient to it? And then are we willing for the sake of Christ, um, as humbly as we can, uh, suffer whatever may come our way because of that faithfulness, you know? And so it looks like opening up our churches and if the government knocks on your doors, don't fight them when they put the handcuffs on, right? Um, it, it, it means that we willingly accept the consequences of our disobedience. I think of Daniel. Um, I think of uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I, I mean, just look at their response. They, they purposefully disobeyed the king's order, and then they willingly and humbly accepted the consequence. Um, you know, O king we cannot, you know, worship, but our God, uh, there was no fighting. There was no, um, and, and I think that's where we see a difference in, in our response to what's happening. And so, yeah, go to church. Um, if, if a church isn't open, if your church has, hasn't been open for a year, then that's probably a good indication. You just need to find a new church, uh, by all means, talk to your pastor first, talk to the elders, see if they're willing to, you know, change, but you need to be a part of a body. Um, and if you're a pastor, I, I would say to you, I would encourage you for the sake of um, shepherding well, those gods entrust you, open your church if you haven't opened. Use wisdom, reach out to some other pastors that have been open, but, but your people suffer, right, without the body meeting for extended periods of time. And so we've got to do that. I, any, any last thoughts, Eki, before we wrap up here? Yeah, I, I forgot to address the Romans 13 point that uh, you made. Because oh, yeah. when I look at Romans 13, Romans 13, the government is a minister for God. And specifically, it says it is a minister of God for you, for good, uh, to you, for good. And if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So basically what that describes is that government is there to enforce law and order, yeah. to make sure that people aren't able to just be able to do evil to one another and to reward those who do good. If you're going to apply Romans 13 as the basis of the disobedience that churches that are open are being disobedient to Romans 13, then you have to be prepared to say that Romans 13 is essentially calling those who open their churches those who practice evil. And that simply cannot be the case. I will not mm. stand with anyone who says that those who gather together to worship God are in the process of practicing evil. And there is also a testimony part of this to unbelievers, even though unbelievers won't admit this. They won't come straight out and admit this. But I believe that we give a stronger testimony to the unbelieving community by meeting because it shows to them that even if they don't agree with us, even if they hate us for it, but it shows them that this is more important, that we do not sacrifice, we do not make compromises on gathering together. Yeah. And the other thought that came to me is from Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that has to be our mindset in this life. Paul didn't, Paul's not going to say to live as Christ, to die as gain, unless there's a pandemic, then let's not just gather. Now, I know some people are going to say that's not the way that verses intended. But when I think about the spirit of that verse, to, to mm -hmm. live being Christ means we are led to 
please Christ. We are led to do the things that Christ has called us to do. And as the body of Christ, that means gathering together. And it does say in verse 129, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And that is exactly what is happening to James Coates and his family and anyone else. And I know that there are others in Canada that are under the threat of persecution as well. I heard um, that there was another pastor in Canada who was facing fines of several millions of dollars because he Mm. had been refusing to close. So I'm I'm thankful for people who are willing to stand up uh, firm in that way as well. Um, But yeah, we, we don't make compromises for the word of God. We don't justify unrighteous actions um, against the church. We do believe that people should have the individual responsibility to determine whether they are at severe risk. Yeah. You know, we, we have people who are shut-ins and we understand that. Sure. We, we make room for that. Um, but, but the church needs to continue. The, the church needs to, yeah. to continue and recognize even without COVID, there's always a risk of something. That, yeah. that risk is always there. But we trust in a holy God. We trust in a sovereign God. And we trust that as we glorify God in our actions, we are building up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And that's where our hope really is. And I think when we are controlled by so much fear, we don't communicate the fact that our hope is in the future world. We communicate so much about our hope here and now and our fear of, of losing our life and getting sick and all that here and now. So those are my final words. Yeah, I, you know, it reminds me, I, I just had a thought of David Brainerd and missionaries like him who, you know, he died from sickness on the field um, and and it was worth, right? The work was worth the risk of his life. Um, the Apostle Paul, I, I mean, I can, I can guarantee you that the Apostle Paul would not have stopped doing the work he was doing in a COVID situation. And I can prove it. Uh, look at the times where he was stoned got up and went back into the same place. Um, Right. They they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. He got up and then he walks right back. Yeah. And, and and I mean, you have to understand for them to think he was dead. This was a society that understood stoning, right? They'd seen it over and over and over again. They thought he was dead. And so he he must've looked pretty terrible. Um, I, I I've seen stoning in real life. It's horrid. Um, and, And just let me tell you, he, he got up and he went right back and did the very same thing that caused him to get stoned uh, before. And we just need to consider that. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're the one person that should, you know, be extremely cautious because uh, you're on chemotherapy or whatever it is that you should say, all right, I'm going to go die. I'm not saying that. But we really need to consider scripture and, and the value of our faith, the value of meeting um, and maybe be a little less concerned uh, about about our health at times. It's, we've become very westernized in that, right? Where I live in Alaska, uh, I'll just end on this. Um, y- you are more likely to die by hitting a moose than you are getting COVID. Wow. And we would never accept the excuse, I can't come to church because I may hit a moose. Yep, right. In fact, Proverbs talks about the lazy man who won't leave the house because he's afraid of being attacked, right? Absolutely. There you go. You know, and and the blessing, and I said that was my last thing, but here's my last thing. And, and people who hear me teach, I do this all the time. Um, thinking about Paul also in that letter to the Philippians, he's in prison, much like James Coates is. But the beauty about it is that um, God 
works through our obedience. And Paul, though he was in prison, said that the gospel continues to sound forth. So even though he was in prison, the gospel wasn't. But the yeah. fact that he was in prison was an encouragement to fellow brethren to go and speak forth the gospel in love. And even those who were jealous of him were preaching Christ as well. And he said, you know what? The only important thing is that Christ is proclaimed. And I thought about that just as we mm-hmm. think about how more people actually came to the church that following Sunday. at, um, yeah. And I think that church is Grace Life Church in yep. uh, Edmonton. Yep. So glory, all glory to God for that. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, guys, I tell you what we're going to do. If you want to be an encouragement to James Coates in the show notes, I'm going to put the address where you can write him a letter of encouragement. Um, let his family know that you're praying for him, that you're standing with him, uh, that he's not alone, although he's alone physically at the moment. So we'll put that in the show notes and um, find a church, get in a church. If you're pastoring, open your church, um, be the body of Christ serve Christ, love the body, love people around you, proclaim the gospel. Maybe there's been no greater time in in our life where people have been so confronted with the reality of death and and being um, a a, a finite being. Uh, There's been no better time maybe to proclaim the gospel than there is now, so take advantage of it. So thank you guys for tuning in with us, and until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.